Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Acts chapter 3, and we will begin in verse number 19. Acts three nineteen. Hallelujah. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. You'll notice in this passage, we've been looking at it for a number of weeks now, you'll notice that we've been talking about two uh, primary things. First of all, we talk about times of refreshing. Other translations say times or seasons of revival. Well, we're in a season of revival right now. Don't sit out there and miss the revival. Amen. Stir yourself up. Stir yourself up to get in on what God's doing. Amen. When God's moving, you can sit there and just agree with it and still miss out on it. Amen. Stir yourself up. Say, I will not miss this revival. I'm gonna be in the middle of it. I'm gonna flow with it. I'm gonna experience revival in my life. Amen. He talked about times of refreshing, times of revival, and then he also talked about times of restoration. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the times of restoration. And uh, according to the dictionary, the word restoration means a putting or bringing back to a former, normal, or unimpaired state or condition. A bringing back or putting back to a former, normal, or unimpaired state or condition. So when it talks about times of refreshing, refreshing that before Jesus returns, there must, the church must experience times of revival and times of restoration. So there must be times when the church will be brought back to its former, normal, unimpaired state or condition. Praise God. How many of you agree that the church needs restoration? Amen. Glory to God. Well, we believe this will include a restoration of the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, and the character of Christ. And so we started out talking about a restoration of the character of Christ. And we pointed out that uh, what God is doing in these days, in this time of revival and restoration, he is emphasizing again the necessity of character in the body of Christ. In order for God to do among us what he wants to do among us, we must allow him to do in us what he wants to do. It's an inward work. The spirit of God always works on us from the inside out. And so character is is an issue of the heart. And so the godliness and the character of Christ uh, will, will again... In, in a lot of places, not necessarily here, but in a lot of places in the body of Christ, character, character has been de-emphasized. Compromise has been preached to the church. 
where you can live any way you want to and it's all right, everything's okay, God's got everything under control, you're forgiven, you're great. his grace covers you and it leads to looseness in life and character and behavior, but that's not what Jesus is emphasizing. That's not what God's emphasizing. That's not what God's saying to the church. He's saying, don't see how far you can live from me and get by. See how close you can live to me and enjoy the, the sweetness and the intimacy of close fellowship with the Lord. That, it, that it involves uh, establishing his character in our lives. Then we talked about a restoration of the power of Christ. That before Jesus returns, there must be, just like there must be a restoration of the character of Christ, there must be a restoration of the full power of Christ. In the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, the demonstrations of the Spirit, uh, uh, the ministries of the Spirit, all that has to do with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that needs to be exhibited in his body and it will be exhibited in his body in its fullness before Jesus returns. Jesus is not returning to a weak or for a weak, emaciated, cowardly, backslidden, tongue-tied, embarrassed, compromised church. Jesus will return for a church that is on fire, that is speaking his word, speaking his truth, living that truth, demonstrating that truth, and bringing deliverance to this world just like he brought deliverance to his world. Amen? So there must be a restoration of the authority of of the power of Christ, and then we're talking today about a restoration of the authority of Christ. A restoration of the authority of Christ. I want you to turn with me to Matthew And we looked at this passage last week, so I want to just real quickly cover this. Matthew, the 16th chapter, and then we want to go on to some other verses. Matthew chapter 16, hallelujah. We were singing that song this morning, Jesus, and part of that song is Jesus changed my whole life. I was thinking about my life and how he changed my life back in 1972. I, uh, I had been raised in church, but as a teenager, I backslid. As, an, as a young teenager, I was away from the Lord throughout most of my teenage years. And uh, when I turned 17 years old, I left my mama's house and, uh, and went out you know, to live on my own. And uh, I was determined to do things my way to live the way I wanted to live, to live without any regulations and, and, and uh, nobody but her telling me what to do. And that didn't work very well either. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I had all these scriptures that, I, that had been sown into my life as a youngster growing up in, ch- in church. And they always bothered me. I had a knowledge of salvation and a knowledge of the Lord that I, I, I tried to suppress and you know, if you live backslidden long enough, you can, you can get to the place where you come to a point where you're ready to turn your back completely on God. And, and I was at that point. And, uh, and, I, and I remember I was working in a town down uh, uh, just north of Tampa, a little town called Brooksville. I had been transferred. I, we lived in Jacksonville, but I had been transferred up there or down there uh, to work for the telephone company 
And I was working in this little telephone office in Brooksville. It's a small uh, switchgear station. And uh, there were about 10 of us working in there. And I only knew one guy. One guy uh, was transferred there with me, another man from Jacksonville. And he and I were working together. And we were selling drugs. We were working at the telephone office during the day. And in the nighttime, we were selling drugs. And he and I stayed in this motel room together. And I would buy the drugs and, and he was a black man and he, would, he and I would drive down to the black side of town and he would sell the drugs. I would provide the drugs and he'd sell them. And uh, we were doing pretty good for ourselves and, and having a pretty good time, making a, a fairly good living, you know, on the side. And then suddenly he got transferred back to Jacksonville. And so I was there and I didn't know any of the other uh, men that I was working with there from uh, uh, that were, you know, from that area of Tampa. And so he left, and, and so I'm, I spent some time, you know, alone. And, and I don't know, the Spirit of God just started working on me, and he reminded me of scriptures that I had read as a little boy. So I went back to the, and Billy Graham was on, on TV at, during that week, and he was doing a crusade. And so I turned on the TV one night, and Billy Graham was on, and he's preaching, you know, and then he gives the altar call, and God began to tug on my heart, and I knew I wasn't living right. And, uh, but you know, I really wanted nothing to do with that old life. So I opened my Bible. There was a Bible there, of what do you call it? A, a Gideon's Bible. There was a Gideon's Bible, so I got it out, and I knew my way around the Bible. I knew the books of the Bible. You know, I'd learned that Sunday school. And so I turned to the New Testament, and I thought, well, I'm just gonna start reading, uh, you know, as though I've never read this before. And I'm going to prove to myself that this is a bunch of baloney. I'm going to prove to myself that the Bible is not true. And really what I was doing, I was looking for loopholes. I thought to myself, I thought I am so smart that I'm, I know I will find contradictions and, and, uh, and so forth in the scripture. So I started reading. But something happened to me as I started reading the Gospels. I started for the first time, and I, I don't know why I had never noticed this as a child, but reading in the Gospels, I found out something about the person of Jesus that I had never noticed in my life. And it was the fact, well, turn with me over to uh, Matthew. Go, go back to the uh, Beatitudes. Go back to Matthew chapter five, and I'll show you what I mean. You'll see I didn't get very far in the Scriptures before God got a hold of me. Started in Matthew, and I, I, I've stood stout all through the first five or six chapters. And, uh, and so I read the Beatitudes, and I thought, well, they're, they're pretty good. Jesus said some cool things there. I can agree with most, most of that. But then I got down here to the end of, of the Beatitudes in uh, chapter seven, and it says that, and so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were the religious people. I knew that much. And it says that the people were captivated. They were astonished. They were amazed at the way Jesus taught because he taught 
as someone who had authority and it wasn't the authority of religion. It somehow was inherent in him. He spoke as a man with authority. And, and, and that really, it captivated me and I had already unconsciously uh, begun to notice there's something about the way Jesus talks that no one else has ever taught. There's something about his words. There's something about the way he conducted himself. And so I read on through the gospels. And the more I read, the more taken I was with the fact that Jesus lived a life like no one else had ever lived. He spoke, he acted with authority. He, he acted like he was from somewhere else. He acted like he knew something that other people didn't know that he had a secret, that he had an identity, something in him that was different and he was communicating that to the world. And it just, it just captivated me. And the more I read, the more I began to be amazed and further amazed and astonished. I was just like the people that, that we just read about. I was astonished at his words because they were with authority. People would come to him to captivate him and try to trick him in his words and they'd go back to their leaders and they'd say, no man ever spoke like that man. There's something different about him. He'd walk into the synagogues and demon-possessed people would fall down and begin to cry out and say, let us alone, Jesus, we know who you are. And Jesus would command those demons to come out. There was, there was an authority in his life that transcended natural authority. It was authority that, that, that reached not only into, from the natural world, it reached over into the supernatural world. It reached beyond the earth, it reached into heaven, it reached back down into hell. There was something about his authority that was otherworldliness. It was from another place. Well, I never at that time in my life, now I continued to read and uh, over the course of several days, and I stayed down there, I would work for, I would drive, I had a little Volkswagen Beetle. And I'd put that thing on the floor and going down the hill, I could go 70 miles an hour. And, and it would coast up a little bit slower. And I, would, and I would leave just before sunup every Monday morning and drive down to Brooksville. And I'd cruise right in there about 7.30, which was time to start work. I mean, I'd screech right up to that office just about that time, you know, time to start work. And I'd work there Monday through Friday, and on Friday afternoon, I'd head back home again to be with my sweetheart in Jacksonville. Well, I was there, you know, for several weeks, and we'd been selling drugs and, and uh, uh, getting into trouble and, and just barely missing trouble. I, I think one thing that, that kind of uh, uh, got my attention is this man moved out that I had been rooming with, and I had to move to another motel, and I moved into another little motel that was right next to the police station. And, and I'd look out my, my window. It was one of these old-fashioned, you know, mom-and-pop motels, you know, had a little bathroom and the window in it, you know. And I look out in the, my window, the bathroom, and there was the jail. I mean, about 30 feet from me, and I could see the bars in the windows, you know. And I thought, you know, I might ought to clean up my act right here. This little town, you know, nobody knows I'm a stranger. You know, this was 1972, a little small town. And uh, I said, I probably ought to stop doing what I'm doing. I would need to get back to Jacksonville where it's safer, you know. And, uh, and so I, you know, 
I, I stopped selling drugs. I didn't have my contact, you know, to, to, to help me. And so uh, I just spent my time in the room. But I got to listening to Billy Graham. And then I started reading the Bible. And like I said, I was determined to find, uh, to catch God in, in uh, contradictions. And I was looking for loopholes. Well, praise God, that was in 1972. I haven't found any loopholes yet. I never did stop reading it, praise God. I continued to read and I continued to, to read. And like I said, I just began to be more and more amazed at the authority that was in this man's life. And I don't know, growing up as a kid, I, I, I looked at Jesus and the stories that I heard about him and they were more like, like fairy tales to me. They didn't seem real. But suddenly, I was confronted with a real flesh and blood person who said everything right, who knew what he was talking about, and he could demonstrate an authority that was from heaven, but he did it right here on the earth. Yeah. I'd never noticed that before in anybody's life. And, uh, you know, I continued reading, and, and the Spirit of God continued to deal, deal with me. And finally, one night there in that room, as Billy Graham, you know, gave the, uh, the invitation for people to come forward, I just knelt right there in that, in that little motel room and surrendered my life to the Lord again and got back into fellowship with the Lord. And, and, uh, and, and I, a hunger for God's word kind of uh, just grew on the inside of me. And for the next several months, uh, for, uh, for quite a few months after that, it seemed that all of the scripture that had been planted in me as a child, that I had done my best to weed out. When I was backslidden, I mean, I was completely backslidden. I was living for the devil. I, I was, uh, I was a uh, water carrier for, for the philosophies of this world. I did my best to believe the philosophies of this world. I did my best to identify with this world and, and I did my best to purge all of that religious training out of me. But as soon as I put my attention back on the Lord, guess what? It hadn't gone anywhere. All that word was still in there and it just seemed to suddenly spring to life. It was like I didn't even know where I, I didn't know I knew all of this. But suddenly all of the, listen, never give up on your children. Put the word of God in them and believe God that it will register on their spirits and it will be there their entire life. My mother never gave up on me. She continued to pray for me. I didn't like it. It would actually make me mad. In the nighttime, before I left home, in the nighttime, you know, I would hear my mama calling my name in prayer back in the bedroom. And I used to say, I wish she would leave me out of this. Would you just leave me alone? And, uh, but she wouldn't. And she continued to pray. She continued to believe God. And I'm telling you, all that was ever put into me came to life. I tell you what, God's word is eternal. It is a seed, you put it in you, you put it in your children, you put it in your family, and it will bear fruit if you'll not lose faith in God. Amen. Amen. And so I, I, I was captivated by this amazing authority that, that Jesus had. It never occurred to me at the time 
and those, in those beginning stages, it never occurred to me that anybody else could be like Jesus. It, it, seemed, it seemed to be too fanciful. It seemed to be too much beyond what anyone else could accomplish. It never occurred to me that I could have that kind of authority. That, my, that God would honor my word just like he honored Jesus' word. But as I read through the Gospels, and I read through them several times, but I remember I came to, uh, where did I tell you to go? The 16th chapter? Yes. Let's, let's, we'll skip that. Let's go over to the 28th chapter. We'll come back to the 16th chapter, perhaps. In the 28th chapter of Matthew's gospel, after Jesus had been, had been raised from the dead, and just before he ascended into heaven, he gave what we call the Great Commission to his disciples. Everybody say the Great Commission. It says in verse 16... Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It amazes me, and it amazed me when I discovered that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, therefore you go. Think about that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore you go in my name. Yes. What Jesus did right there in the 28th chapter of the book of Matthew is he delegated his authority to his disciples. He delegated, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, but since you're in the earth, you therefore go in my name. He's saying, you go with my authority. Go back to, uh, go back to Luke. Look at Luke's gospel. And let's turn to the 10th chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 10. In verse 1 it says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, and let's drop down to verse number 9, he said, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. 
In verse 17, it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority. Now, in the original King James, that word is translated power. But it is, in the Greek, it's the word authority. The translators didn't always translate all words the same on every occasion. And sometimes they translated this word authority and sometimes they translated it power. But the word is authority. And he said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any, by any means hurt you. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. What he's talking about there figuratively, he's talking about the devil and evil spirits. Because that's what they had just said. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in your name. He said, I give you authority to rule and to reign over all of the forces of darkness in my name. Now, you see, the church world, where the church backslid and lost its power, is the church believed that this authority had only been given to the 12 disciples. And when the 12 apostles died, then all of that authority was over. But I want you to notice that the 12 weren't, weren't even in this group. In the ninth chapter, go back to the ninth chapter, in verse one, he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They went out, verse six says, and uh, throughout the towns preaching the gospel and healing everyone, everywhere. But notice this wasn't even the disciples. This was 70 others that aren't even named. We don't even know who these people are. They're not even important enough to have a name. They're just ordinary folk. Not the 12, not the 12. These weren't apostles. These were just ordinary believers, ordinary followers. And he said unto every one of them, I give you authority over the devil in my name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, he didn't just give it to the 12. He didn't just give that authority to the 70. He gave it to all believers. Go back to Matthew, to Mark's gospel and look at the 16th chapter of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 16. Everybody say the Great Commission. You know, you can't really get a true picture of the Great Commission unless you read everything about the Great Commission. We read from the, from the 28th chapter of Matthew, but the 16th chapter of Mark is the Great Commission also. Matthew recorded a portion of what Jesus said. Mark recorded something else that Jesus said, but it was all the same occasion. In other words, at the same time, just before he ascended into heaven, he assembled his disciples together. And in verse 15, he told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Now, Matthew said, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. But here, it, Mark just, just records a different portion of what Jesus said. He said all of this. He said, no, not, not only teach them, 
He said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. In my name, they will take up serpents. This is again referring uh, figuratively to evil spirits and so forth. And if they drink anything deadly, it will, be not, it will by no means hurt them. And in my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What Jesus did is he transferred all of his authority on this earth to the church. I said Jesus transferred all of his authority on this earth to the church. He said all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I'm going to heaven. You're gonna stay here on the earth and you're gonna operate as my agent. If Jesus did anything, that's exactly what he did in Matthew chapter 28. He said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, you go as my agent. You go in my stead. You go in my name. Everything I've done, you do. Everything I've taught, you teach. Everything, every, every way I have behaved, you behave. All the deliverance I've brought, you brought. The same authority that I've walked in, you walk in. You walk in that same authority, that same commission, that same calling, Hallelujah. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ has been delivered to the church once and for all. And it's ours. It's ours. When the church, we've heard about these things for quite a while. But, but by and large, on, on, when you think of the, of the big scheme of things in the church world, most of the church knows nothing about this. Very few people in the church world know about the authority that's been given to them. Christians whine, wring their hands. They don't think anything belongs to them. Just wondered how they're gonna get by in this life, praying little stupid prayers, they have little plaques on the wall about footsteps. They light candles and worship at the footsteps. Come on now. The little serenity prayers that everybody likes to knit, you know, and hang on their refrigerator. Silliness. Listen. Well, I won't even say it. It's not it's a side thought. <laughs> when people don't have time for the word, but they get caught up with all these silly little sayings. They like, make, like to make plaques out of and little crocheted things and hang them all over their, their house and they don't ever read the Bible, but they know all these other cute little sayings. I don't, have a, I don't have any time for people like that. Give me the word or just don't talk to me. Amen. I don't want to hear your cute little religious sayings. I want to know what God said. Amen. Amen. And it just seems to me that people will fall all over themselves passing around all these little cute little sayings that they, that they find and they wouldn't spend 10 minutes to get into the word of God for their life. Well, amen. Praise God. Most of the church world lives a weak, defeated, nothing belongs to me kind of life God won't do anything. 
It's not his will to deliver. It's not his will to answer prayers. It's not his will to heal. You just have to get by the best way you can and he's always doing something to teach you something. Kind of life. And, and the thing that amazed me, you know what, that would never have gotten my attention as a backslidden drug dealer. What got my attention was a man who walked through life with a fearless boldness that made demons tremble. That's what got my attention. That's what got my attention. It's the only thing that will get the attention of this world today is when the church arises out of its slumber and its stupor and wakes up to the authority that belongs to us as believers and begins to, it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to exercise it. Exercise that authority. Oh, glory to God. I'm telling you, before Jesus returns, the church will awaken again to its authority in Christ. Notice what it said in Mark 16. This is what he told them. He said, you go out in my name. And, and you cast out demons and speak with tongues and, and take up serpents and, and lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Notice what it said. So, when, so then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, how did they do that? They did that because they knew they had the authority to do it. They had the authority. They knew that Jesus had conferred this authority on them. Go back over to Matthew again, the 28th chapter. Matthew 28. Notice verse 20, the very, the very end of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. How is Jesus with us? How is he with us? Well, he's with us, of course, through the Spirit, but he's also with us by his name. When we speak his name, he's right there. When we speak his name, he is right there to make it good. We're his, we're his agents. And we have the right to declare things and to do things in the name of Jesus and he will back us up as if he did it himself. Go with me to uh, John, the 14th chapter. John chapter 14. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. It's not the verse I'm looking for. Hallelujah. I'll find it. Glory to God. Yeah. 
the twelfth verse. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, notice, the works that I do will he do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. Now notice, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now in the Greek language, the word that's translated ask has different shades of meaning depending on how it's used. One meaning of this word ask, one shade of meaning, is the, it has the sense of demand. In other words, it's a demand of something that belongs to you. He said, if you demand anything in my name, I will do it. Are we supposed to demand some things in his name? Yes, we are. Yeah, we are. There are some things that you won't ever have in this life if you're not willing to demand your rights. If you're not willing to say, this is something that belongs to me and I'm going to have it. And I demand my rights. Now, where God is concerned, it's not an arrogant demand. It's like when I go to the bank, if I walk up to the teller in the bank and I, and I write a check and I, and I have money in the bank and let's say I want to withdraw $100 and I give that teller a check for $100, I'm making a demand on something that belongs to me. I have a right to that $100 because it's mine. Now, I don't, I don't go up to that teller you know, kind of wringing my hands to say, you know, if, if you feel good today and if you feel like helping me, I, I just wonder, could I, could, I, could I impose on you? Could I, could I get you to maybe think about giving me 100 I really need $100. Would you please give me $100? I really need it so bad. I, I beg of you, give me. I don't do that. I just give her the check. I want to, I'm, I'm going to withdraw $100. What am I doing? I'm demanding something that belongs to me. Now, I don't have to, I don't have to use any arrogance. I don't have to reach in there. Well, they're all covered in glass now, but I don't have to threaten this person. Do you give me my $100? Because they know it's my $100. She or he is glad to give me the $100 because they know I've got it on deposit. Well, when we make a demand of things that belong to us, God the Father is eager to give us what is ours. It's not a matter of us being, being arrogant and demanding of God something that way. We're just saying, Lord, this belongs to me. I believe I'll take what's mine, praise God. And he's eager to give it. Oh, glory to God. We've been given authority, oh, hallelujah, in this life. And I, and I didn't realize it was that late. Praise God. I tell you what, praise and worship so good, I just don't have time to preach around here. <laughs> Hallelujah, let's stand up, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. There is so much about our authority that we have just barely tapped into. There's so much that we must learn in these last days. Listen to me, church. In these last days, there is so much more about our authority 
than we've ever really realized. That's why we don't use it more. The reason we don't use the authority that's ours any more than we do is we don't have the full revelation of it. But before Jesus returns, there is coming to the body of Christ a revelation and an understanding of his authority that is beyond anything that we've tapped into so far. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days is going to arise and exercise authority in this earth. We didn't read this passage, but we started to at the beginning. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The forces of darkness of this world are being stirred up like never before. We're, we've come into a time where darkness is, is thickening and the condition of this world is getting more and more vile, more and more oppressed. The ungodly and the kingdom of darkness is, is arising like it never has before. And I'm telling you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will rise in these last days and meet it face to face. We're not gonna cower. We're not gonna, we're not gonna hide. We're not gonna run. We're not gonna be ashamed and we're not gonna be defeated. We're gonna learn to take the authority that's ours and some things that are happening that shouldn't happen. We're gonna rise up and say, no, you don't. You're not doing that anymore in the name of Jesus. You're not, we're not having that in our nation. We're not having that in our schools. We're not having that in our communities. Amen. He said, whatever things you allow will be allowed and the things that you deny will be denied. Glory to God. Well, we're coming into that hour, church. Yes, we are. We need to get a hold of it. Amen. We need to get a hold of it. I would encourage you to read the book of Ephesians this week. Read it through several times. The authority of the believer is revealed more uh, completely in the book of Ephesians than it is in any other place in the Bible. And we're gonna get over into those verses hopefully next week. But I want you to to read those passages the next couple of weeks. Just read. Go through Ephesians. Read it over and over and over again. There's some prayers in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. I want you to start praying those prayers for yourself. The prayers that Paul prayed for the church. Read them to yourself. Insert your name in those prayers. Where he said, I pray that the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ would give unto you. Put your name in there. And read those prayers. I'm telling you, there's a revelation coming to the body of Christ in these last days concerning the authority that's ours. Glory to God. And we're going to rise up and we're going to take our place. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for your love, Father. We thank you for redemption. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. We've been caused, called, we've been raised up together with Christ and seated with him, glory to God. And Father, we thank you for the authority that's ours and we thank you, Father, for the challenge of this hour in which we live, that we will face it with boldness and with authority and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will do your work in these last days. We will accomplish your will, praise God.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.